time enough at last. Submitted for your consideration to sci-fi fans, Sean Majors and Keith Conrad. Rewatch The Twilight Zone from beginning to end. It's like something out of that Twilighty show about that zone. Witness, if you will, a dungeon made out of mountains, salt flats, and sand that stretch to infinity. The dungeon has an inmate. James A. Corey, and this is his residence. Metal shack. An old touring car that squats in the sun and goes nowhere, for there is nowhere to go. For the record, let it be known that James A. Corey is a convicted criminal placed in solitary confinement. Confinement in this case stretches as far as the eye can see because this particular dungeon is on an asteroid nine million miles from the Earth. Now witness, if you will, a man's mind and body shriveling in the sun. A man dying of loneliness. Episode 7 of The Twilight Zone was The Lonely, and uh, it involves, uh, it involves uh, let's say it involves the ultimate tale of social distancing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it involves the dad from Problem Child. Well, that's right, it does. <laughs> I think, I think the um, uh, Jack Warden, the guy who plays James Corey in this episode, he's the first person that I immediately recognized that I oh that's the dad and problem child oh so so you were like me with uh, uh, Mr. Death yes uh, in, in the angels when I go hey wait a minute that's the mayor from Jaws <laughs> I like to think yours is probably a uh, a, a better uh, a better pull than the dad from Problem Child <laughs> and no, Problem I, Child too of course well obviously yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it, that's. Uh, that's understandable. I mean, that would have been in your in your your pop culture lexicon of the time. Of course, I think I think out of the first seven, and this is a this is a controversial statement, but out of the first seven of these episodes, this might be my favorite. Oh, really? Yeah, I absolutely love this episode. Well, and that's interesting because it's it's really a. a a pretty pretty simple episode yeah very simple uh, so so a man is uh is uh is uh is is sentenced to i, I think it's life isn't it on a on a on an asteroid yeah it's it's life and um the only interaction yeah it, it's basically solitary confinement right just in right. a yeah. in an open space which is interesting because um the the they, they, the way they seem to be describing it is everybody gets their own asteroid. And I'm like, gee, if I had my own asteroid, that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> Sounds pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I don't know if he was given, I mean, so he gets visited by, I don't know but, who they are. Yeah. Well, before we get to that, it, it's basically, uh, you can think of it as being the same premise as the movie Con Air. Because you've got a man who clearly killed in self-defense. Like, there's no denying that. Uh-huh. Went to jail anyway, just because the in the future the justice system really not. Oh my God! I uh, you know we talked a couple weeks ago about 
us bankrolling your remake of Walking Distance. We yes. need to bankroll a remake of this episode with shoulder length hair, Nicolas Cage, and a wife beater. Yeah, I think so. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, that, by the way, jumped out at me at one point because he's wearing like some sort of coveralls. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Corey is is the whole time the the prisoner, and I'm like, it's clearly supposed to be very hot there, <laughs> and he's there all by himself, like. First of all, couldn't you issue him some shorts? <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't not, like make turn them into cutoffs or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. If if not, if I'm Corey, I'm going to make them cutoffs because what are they going to do? <laughs> like, like they can, they, they've already stuck me on this asteroid for the rest of my life. It's not like they can make things worse. God, an asteroid nine million miles from Earth. Yeah, well, that's one thing that I wanted to uh, wanted to spend some time talking about because you know, again, I, I'm Mister Practical, and, and immediately my my brain thinks of this. First of all, it takes place in 2047. I, I believe it's at, at one point they do specify that. Oh man, we're almost there. Yeah, so we have 27 years to get to the point where we're not only exploring outer space, but we're so bored with it that that's prison now. We just send people to asteroids. <laughs> do it uh even if president trump actually goes back to the moon uh, in 2024 i don't think we can do that in 27 years <laughs> the um to put that into uh to put that into uh perspective so the moon is roughly 239,000 miles away correct yeah as and the crow mars, mars is somewhere between 30 and like 90 million depending on on when you're you're talking about so it's basically 37 and a half, I'm going to say, times the length of uh, the distance between the Earth and the moon. That's pretty far. And, you know, there's lots of stuff floating around in space, so I can't say that there isn't an asteroid nine million miles away. Mm. But most of the asteroids are in the asteroid belt, the appropriately named asteroid belt, <laughs> which is between uh, Mars and uh, Jupiter, which is a lot more than nine million miles away. So again... In the 1950s, as we've discussed in previous episodes, they just didn't quite know how space worked. Or, as we've also discussed in in previous episodes, they've only got 22 minutes. (laughs) Nine million sounds really big. It sounds really big. Nine million and hope that nobody really cares. I just hope no one consulted uh, the Marshall Space Flight Center uh and at, at nasa for uh like a like a, a a consultant for for this show uh yeah at the, at the time yeah that would look very poorly on my my beautiful hometown of huntsville alabama or um you know, you know what we should do is uh, we should try to get neil degrasse tyson to uh, come on the come on the podcast and just whenever there's an episode that involves anything in space, get him to just tear it apart. Well, I'll tell you what you have. We've established that you have Jordan Peele's number. Um, yeah. I, I have I have Neil deGrasse Tyson. I call him NDT. But um, right. yeah, so let's just uh, let's make it a point today to just jump on the get on the horn with those two, and we'll uh, next week we'll have them both on. Yes, yeah, that sounds good. Great, yeah. great, great, great. Yeah. Uh, so uh, also. This probably is, is again, a, a factor of the fact that this is the late 50s. So we should cut him some slack. Um, and, and this will come up in, in subsequent episodes as well, because I've, I've already noticed it. But what was with people in the 60s saying robot? <laughs> That's so funny because I was about to call Gene Marsh a sex robot. 
Um, I don't know, but that's how I jokingly pronounce robot because it's really fun. It's really fun to say. Yeah, it it, it is. Yeah. Um, if you so- ever if you're ever having a bad day and like you call your computer a robot, mm-hmm. you're gonna smile. Yeah, yeah, I, I could do that. So, so not to get too far ahead of ourselves here, uh, he's he's uh, uh, Corey slash uh, Grandpa from uh, Problem <laughs> Child. He's uh, he's sentenced to to be on this asteroid by himself, and uh, during one of the supply runs, uh, you know, he's talking about he's talking to the uh, the people who, who visit him about how horrible and and lonely it is, and. Um, uh, one of them says, you know, the leader, Allenby, uh, which I, I can't decide if we're going to if we're going to give uh, Serling some some grief about that name or not. <laughs> Allenby, Allenby, that seems fine. That seems fine. Um, yeah. And Corey, too, for that matter. James, James Corey. I like that name. That's a good no name. No problems there. I don't know. Um, I, it, he did. Uh, Serling did write the teleplay. So apparently even uh, even Serling gets it gets it, it right on the uh, the name game. <laughs> but but he he says you know the 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 guy Alan B says you know I, I understand you're lonely I, I'm trying to uh, help you out and and uh, uh, Corey says you know all all I want is a all I want is a is a pardon because I killed in self defense just like Nicolas Cage in, uh, in <laughs> on air my hands were deadly weapons yeah um, well, so they like so Allen B comes to this first of all how much how many tax dollars are being spent on the fuel to uh, assumingly Corey is not the only person serving solitary confinement life on and, an and asteroid not, they mentioned that later on that he's he's not the only one which which yeah I mean to to your point uh, we we have people complaining about uh, uh, people who are in jail for you know years because we have to feed and 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 shelter them for for that long. Think about all the rocket. <laughs> Imagine if we took a spaceship to to Ursar seven nine four times a year to bring to bring food and water to James Corey. Yeah, that that just doesn't work. Or, or even if you're bringing him equipment to create you know, food and water that it's a thousand dollars a pound right now to put something in, in orbit, <laughs> uh, let alone to send it to an asteroid 9 million miles away. Assuming there is an asteroid. Nine million miles away. It's, it, it's, it's, it's incredible. Um, that, that is, you know what that means? That means we're, uh, that means they must be living in the star Trek world where it's a post scarcity uh, world. And, and, and there, <laughs> money so. is no object. It, it doesn't mean anything. So, so clearly, uh, not only is it the same story as Con Air, but it's clearly taking place in the Star Trek universe. They've cracked the code. Um, so the uh, the wardens, the the prison guards, I guess that that bring Corey these supplies, they can only be there for fifteen minutes because if they, I don't understand the physics of this, but if they're if they stay longer than 15 minutes, then they'll have to stay two weeks because the asteroid's orbit will be out of, out of alignment to earth. And then they'll never get back to earth and they'll have to wait 14 weeks for the asteroid to be in the same, same uh, condition to depart. Yeah. I I feel like that was actually them, you know, unlike when they pulled out the number 9 million for uh, 9 million miles, I I feel like that was actually them kind of being, a little sciency. Yeah, they put some thought into that. I like it. Yeah, they, they did. I appreciate that. 
Um, and, and so, like, they they don't they 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 basically tell him uh, or Allenby. The the other guys don't seem to know what's going on, and no. Allenby actually comes to think of it and says, uh, "Nobody else knows about this, and I'd get in a lot of trouble if they did if they found out." Uh, just says, "Hey, I left you a, a giant human sized box. <laughs> don't open it until we leave." And uh, so he he doesn't because he's uh, he's good at following instructions, you know, like anybody who's been in prison for a while. And uh, uh, so he opens it after they leave, and it turns out that there's a robot woman <laughs> in it. Uh, robot. Uh, a robot. Robot woman. And uh, uh, the the thing that you know, and, and they basically do a nice little uh, nice little montage. You know, yeah. show him get. At, at first, he 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 hates her, and then about thirty two seconds later, they're showing a montage of them actually getting to know each other, and. Um, you know, it's just a little voiceover saying, you know, I, uh, you know, she, she, she really seems to get me. She's, she's almost human. <laughs> and then the, the thing that, again, thinking from a very practical perspective, I believe that uh, according to the various uh, uh, voiceovers and everything, I believe it's 11 months that, that he's been reaching. Yeah. The, um, it's, I, which is probably that, that's a pretty long um, uh, montage time, right? I, I would I would say so. And um, the the thing that jumped out at me about that is, you know, that, that's less than a year. Like Tom Hanks held out for longer than that before he actually started taking his conversations with Wilson seriously. So I I don't understand why he uh, that to me is like, is like the practical thing where it kind of jumps the shark a little bit. Where I'm yeah. like. It's only been eleven months. You know this. This is just a pile of circuits. <laughs> well, he saw her cry, so she has well, feelings. That, yeah, and, and, well, wasn't that one of the things in uh, in the movie AI was uh, you know, <laughs> cry because of a robot? So apparently, somehow they worked that out too. You know, it's funny uh, with you mentioning um, Tom Hanks in uh, Castaway and then AI. I think the the marriage of those two movies is that uh, what's that stupid movie where Tom Hanks is? It's like, oh god, what is that movie, Keith? The computer wore tennis shoes or something? No, it's it's oh, it's a bunch of stories, but it's the same actors playing different characters. Oh, uh, well, American Horror Story. Oh. Give me, give me a hot second. One hot second. Oh no! They have some dumb, dumb language. It is called oh, oh Cloud Atlas. Cloud Atlas. Yes, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as you said dumb language, I'm like, oh, that's it. Got it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> um, yeah. So like, uh, Corey, Corey's in love, and uh, Alan B comes back eleven months later. He does, which, which is funny because on the one hand, like you, you're getting the sense. So Ellen B had said, and there's like plot holes all over the place in this. You know, for, for <laughs> what's your favorite, there's just plot holes all over this. Ellen B says, you know, hey, don't tell anybody else what's in this giant human sized box because I get in a lot of trouble. Later on, we find out it's 11 months later and, and they're, you know, the. Uh, People are coming apparently earlier than they normally would have. Uh, they they don't know that this robot or robot robot uh, <laughs> earlier they had said they come every three months. Yeah. So the math just doesn't add up because they had to have come in the intervening time. 
and noticed that this this woman was there unless he was uh, unless we're to believe that uh, he was he was hiding her behind the scenes or something. Keith, I, don't try and poke holes. This plot is airtight. He clearly <laughs> he clearly just put a lampshade over her head, and Allenby and his and his goon squad showed up, dropped off a couple hamburgers, and then skedaddled back to Earth. Uh, okay, I guess that I guess that makes sense. <laughs> but actually, you know what? Now that you mention it, the thing that bugs me is eleven is not divisible by three. Why not just call it a year later or three months later? Well, so I I will actually give them credit on that because uh, they do make mention of the fact that he's early. Oh, so, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Like, like when they when they're looking and they see the see the rocket coming, he says, "Oh, they're they're early." Oof. Or he says it, it couldn't be Alan B because he's not supposed to be here for another month. So, so that they actually do cover. God, Jack Warden is so good in this episode. He is, except he kept he keeps keep saying robot, and then <laughs> and then even even when when he's trying to can so so they come in, you know, Alan B and his his goon squad. They they come in and, and they're like, "Hey, you got a pardon? You don't have to stay here anymore." On on. Uh, on The Rock, um, another Nicolas Cage movie that they're <laughs> really referencing. Uh, so you don't have to stay here anymore. We can take you, but we burned up so much fuel, we can only take 15 pounds with you. We're and here with Con Air. You don't have to stay here on The Rock, so give your robot a, a vampire's kiss goodbye. Exactly. That, that <laughs> word for word, we're reading from the, uh, from the, the, the teleplay. Uh, that that's what happens, and uh, just take our word for it. <laughs> and um, uh, you know, at first he's all excited. Oh, I, I don't even have fifteen pounds of stuff. There's nothing here except for for the car that that uh, that I built earlier, and uh, and you know, I don't need it. So uh, let, let's get on the sh- me and Alicia will get on the ship, and they're like, who? Yeah. And then, uh, then Alan B. He connects the dots, and, and he says, no, we can't take it. And then that's when. Uh, uh, when I, I get a little bothered again because uh, he says uh, he, he calls her a, a Jack Warden calls her a, a, a woman and there's just something weird about the way he says woman. <laughs> I, I I never picked up on that. Um, well, now you won't be able to not pick up on it. Oh trust my me. god! Yeah, it's it's one of those things. Once you see it, I just um, it 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 is very. It's for lack of a better term, it's 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 touching that he doesn't see her as like an object when he's like, well, all I have is this car and like, you know, I I have nothing here. So, you know, she's she's a person. She's a woman. It's almost as if Rod Serling saw women as people in the 50s. Almost. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Funny how that works out. Um, You know, but, uh, you know, so so then they're like, oh, well, she's uh, she's a robot, and you can't take her. Uh, take I'm her sorry, away. a what? She's a what? A robot. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> you can't take her with, and and he's he's trying to uh, to fight them on it, and and finally, uh, Alan just uh, in a very uh, Indiana Jones moment, just whips out his gun and shoots her in the face. Shoots her in the face, Keith. <laughs> he shoots her in the face. Which, by the way. <laughs> She, she's a she's a robot. Uh, so she probably has an off switch. She could have just said, "Hey, look, could could you turn off a woman?" Can we dispense with the theatrics, Alan B? You don't have to shoot her in the face. And to borrow a line from uh, from another uh, a Jerry Bruckheimer classic, 
what are you doing with a gun in space? <laughs> is that is, is that Armageddon? Yeah, that is Armageddon. Yeah. Oh my god, I can't believe I got that right. Uh, yeah, like I, I realize that they're visiting prisoners, and like some of them, unlike uh, unlike uh, uh, Jack Warden, uh, probably aren't nice people. No, and, and probably aren't you know, wrongfully imprisoned. Some of them didn't murder two uh, bar thugs to death in defense of himself and his wife, Monica Potter, in Mobile, Alabama. Exactly. I know Uh, too much about Con Air. I apologize. Apparently so. I didn't didn't realize I was was going right into your, uh, right up your alley there. It's my my wheelhouse. (laughs) But, um, you know, yeah, like, there's there's three of you. There's there's one person on each asteroid. Why do you have a gun? Like, <laughs> I don't understand that. Aside from the fact that, um, you know, the, the the plot required him to have a gun. I think I think they need to uh, in uh, ch- change uh, switch uh, shift those resources from uh, having a gun to maybe a little bit more um, protection than a leather helmet when you're traveling in space. That's another thing where I I believe it's. You know, probably the first season, there are a number of space episodes where literally they're wearing leather football. <laughs> I, I was about to say, I think football players in the 50s had more protection than travelers in space. Yeah. Um, you know, if you've seen the right stuff, it's the, uh, you know, the leather helmet that uh, Chuck, Chuck Yeager puts on. So I guess it's not that far out. If Chuck Yeager was wearing it to break the sound barrier, 10 years later, astronauts <laughs> are wearing it to fly to asteroids to help... Uh, drop off some hamburgers for prisoners. You made a much more sophisticated reference than I was going to make, which was Leatherhead starring John Krasinski. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> a, a classic of American cinema. It's um, no Con Air, but... <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's not. Uh, yeah, so... It, there's a... I, like, I, I realize, I, I hope I hope it's not uh, bursting your bubble too much, because you said it was one of your favorite episodes, but... Man, there's a, there's a lot to to think about there there really is he shoots her in the face and alan b takes Corey back to the ship and he says you're only leaving behind loneliness and then the camera cuts to a devastated jack warden who says i must remember that i have to keep that in mind yeah, and it's yeah. devastating i love this uh, episode yeah, it, 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 listen, I I may joke, but uh, it, it is one that it, it, it's definitely not like the Western episodes where I'm I'm like, hmm, can I skip this one or go make myself a sandwich while this is on? <laughs> it's it's always one that that I would watch too, and um, you know, I I I think that um, you know, it, it's I, I I think you can, especially this day and age, what with uh, all of us social distancing and uh and not leaving the house for days at a time i i you know i think it's something we can definitely I, identify with like, of course although, well most of, most of us aren't completely alone on an on an asteroid that for some reason is nine million miles from earth Ooh, thank god for my dog uh so next week we have uh we have actually our namesake yes uh, we, i can't we, wait to uh to time enough at last which Actually flies in the face of some of the Twilight Zone conventions that we've uh, we've already laid out, so that'll be interesting to talk about. On a microscopic piece of sand that floats through space, 
is a fragment of a man's life, left to rust as the place he lived in and the machines he used. Without use, they will disintegrate from the wind and the sand and the years that act upon them. All of Mr. Corey's machines, including the one made in his image, kept alive by love, but now obsolete in the twilight zone. Gabatron?